0: scripture reading this morning comes from Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Before we read the word of God, let us turn to the Lord and pray again, asking the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy and errant, infallible word. Let's pray together. O God of life, by your spirit you raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And by your promise you inspired the prophets and writers of your holy word. And by your spirit you draw us to Christ and help us to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. By your spirit you give us life in him. So we ask you now that you would... Send us your spirit to give us deeper insight, encouragement, faith, hope, and joy through the proclamation of the Easter gospel. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Dearly beloved, hear the word of the Lord. It is written. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now to him who loves us, who's freed us from our sins by his blood to Jesus Christ, be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Very early on that first day of the week, the women made their way to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. The sun was just rising as they scurried along, anointing supplies in hand on Friday their dear friend, the one who they had earlier declared to be the Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, had been brutally killed by crucifixion, a criminal's death. That afternoon, after a spear to his side had brought forth blood and water confirming his death. Jesus's body had been removed from the cross by a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who Luke describes to us as a good and righteous man. Joseph had requested from Pilate that he be allowed to bury Jesus, a request that had been granted probably because Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin which made him a safe trustee of the body. And Joseph had wrapped the body in a linen shroud, a minimal practice for burial. According to John's gospel, a Pharisee named Nicodemus had helped Joseph with this task, bringing with him a mixture of myrrh and aloes, providing an initial anointment of Jesus' body. Now on this, the third day since Jesus' brutal death, the women were anxious to get to the tomb and honor their beloved friend by anointing his body themselves, giving him a more proper burial. He had not been able to complete this task sooner since his body had been so quickly buried before the Sabbath began at sunset on that Friday in order to comply with Jewish law. And since the following day, the second day was the Sabbath, the women had waited to complete this somber task, making sure first to observe the Sabbath commandment. Mark tells us that now as the women made their way to the tomb, they were discussing among themselves who would move for them this huge stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb in order that they might gain access to Jesus' body. Matthew informs us that the Jewish leaders, remembering that Jesus said that he would rise after three days, had acted to seal the stone in place and had set a guard at the entrance of the tomb to secure the body from being stolen. They didn't want anyone stealing the body and then claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. But when the women arrived at the tomb, The stone had, to their great surprise, already been rolled away, and going into the tomb, they found an even more remarkable surprise. They found nothing at all. They discovered that Jesus's body was not there. Luke tells us that when Peter later came to investigate the tomb for himself, he found the linen cloths were still there, which would have been a very curious thing. After all, Why would anyone stealing a body remove the linen grave claws and leave them in the tomb? So these women who had gone to the grave, wondering about how to move this stone to get into the tomb to anoint the body, are now left pondering much more. Who moved the stone? Where is Jesus's body? Why are the linens still in the tomb? Luke tells us that they were perplexed. Personally, the English word perplexed does not seem to capture what the Greek is articulating here and what these women must have been experiencing. I'm perplexed when my car is making a strange noise. I'm perplexed when it's raining while the sun is shining brightly in the sky. I'm perplexed when I find a cut on one of my fingers and I can't figure out how it got there. No, perplexed doesn't seem to do justice to this situation. A rolled away stone in an empty tomb is not at all what the women expected to find on that Sunday morning. They were more than perplexed. They are at a complete loss. The rolled away stone in the empty tomb took them by complete surprise. But suddenly, we are told, while they were standing there still perplexed, two men in dazzling apparel appeared. Luke will later clarify in this chapter that these were angels. But the women apparently, immediately recognized them as such. We are told that the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. Again and again in Scripture, we find that this is the normal, natural response for those who find themselves in the presence of heavenly beings and divine messengers. And then the messenger spoke, asking the women a curious question. Why are you seeking the living among the dead why do you seek the living among the dead Well, of course the women didn't come to the tomb expecting to find the living. They came expecting to find death. Why else would they have come with the spices and ointments for anointing a dead body? They approached the tomb wondering how they would gain access and then expecting to find the body of their beloved friend laying cold and lifeless behind that stone. But the angels were declaring here that to seek Jesus in the tomb was to seek the living among the dead. The question was meant to prod them. They should have known. They should have believed that death could not hold this man whom they had seen God working in in mighty ways, through whom they had witnessed Others raised from the dead, among many other miraculous deeds. They should have trusted his words, words that Matthew tells us even the Jewish leaders had remembered. Multiple times he had told his disciples that he would be tortured and killed but would rise on the third day. But the tragic events that had unfolded had led to this moment in which they were standing before Jesus' tomb And it had dulled their memories. Only despair, only disappointment, only discouragement filled their hearts and their minds. That Jesus was not there because he had risen from death was such a wonderful thought that it was difficult to grasp. It seemed to be a hope beyond all hope. It was almost beyond their capacity to believe. And Luke reveals that this was also the case for the disciples to whom the women immediately go to testify what they have found. But listen how the disciples received this news. Jesus tells us that these words, the women's words, that is, seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This is really a polite translation of what the Greek says here, saying that the women's testimony seemed to them an idle tale is a nicer way of saying that they thought that their story was complete and utter nonsense. No way. No way had Jesus risen from the dead. They dismissed it as utter ridiculousness. You see the disciples still reeling from the crucifixion of Jesus, still in shock and grief of what had transpired, weren't looking for some way to find hope in this tragic situation. All of their dreams about Jesus and about God's kingdom had been shattered. As one commentator puts it, the women's story looks like an absurd effort to challenge reality. It looks like an absurd effort to challenge reality. The reality was that Jesus had died. He died a horrible death. They simply can't find the strength to even entertain the idea to wrestle with and oppose the initial impressions of what had played out in the previous days, except maybe Peter, who goes to the tomb to see for himself. Isn't it incredible, though, Isn't it incredible, though, how the Gospels present us with the disciples' disbelief? It's evidence to us that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a concocted story. Otherwise, would the disciples, Jesus' inner circle, his closest companions, have been presented in such an unflattering way, so suspicious and unbelieving? the disciples had just made the whole thing up. Wouldn't they have made themselves look good in the process? But they don't. They find themselves here caught off guard as much as everyone else. And while we might look at them and think, weren't they paying attention to what Jesus had been telling them? How thick could they really be? How is it that they could be so slow to believe? Isn't it though that we too have a tendency to have our memories dulled by the world to the promises of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whether it's through tragedy or perhaps the dreariness and drudgery of everyday life or just our fallen and sinful nature, don't we find ourselves too often filled with fear, lost in despair, plagued by doubts, we can look all around us and see suffering, brokenness, disease, death. And the darkness can be, seem so overwhelming that to have faith, to have hope, to be filled with joy can seem like an absurd effort to challenge reality. And when we get to this point, we resign ourselves to looking for life among the dead. We start looking to the world around us for safety, for comfort, for joy, for pleasure, for satisfaction, for hope, for peace, for our salvation. We consume ourselves with these things. How, might you ask? We look to worldly riches, to work, to relationships, to a safe home and neighborhood, to science and technology, to government, to modern medicine, anything anything that will provide us with a sense of protection and a peace of mind. And this past year has been a real challenge in this regard, hasn't it? In the midst of so much uncertainty, we grab at anything that will provide some stability and security, clinging to life, we discover how easy it is to put our hope, our trust, our joy in anything that appears to offer some form of salvation for us, anything to keep us from pain, anything to keep us from loss, anything to keep us from death but looking to the things of this world for our hope and our joy and our peace and our protection is looking to things that are perishing. And clinging to life in this way, we will certainly lose it. Why do you seek the living among the dead? On any given day, it could be a question that could be asked of me. Why are you trying to find life in that which is perishing? Why are you looking to those things that will not last? Why are you desiring those things that will not satisfy? Why are you chasing after those things that will only leave you empty in the end? What you should be seeking is the Lord of life. The one who alone conquers sin, defeats death, and offers life eternal. And so listen to this wonderful announcement that the angels made that Easter morning. Listen to this wonderful truth. Listen to this good news. He is not here, but has risen. He is risen from the dead. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The tomb could not hold Jesus Christ. The power of death is no match for him. It cannot contain him because he is the Lord of life. And dearly beloved, this news changes everything everything. These five words in the Greek, the seven words in the English, they change everything if indeed they are true. What seemed like an end has become a new beginning. Oh, glorious day. And change is our view of what happened on the cross and everything that happens afterward. Jesus was not only the wrath-appeasing, sin-absorbing, substitutionary atonement, sacrifice for our sins. In him, we not only find forgiveness of sins and peace with God, it isn't just that he has offered up his own life to cancel our enormous debt before God by paying the penalty of our sin. Although his resurrection has validated his work on the cross, hear what the Apostle Paul says. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. But it's more than that. In him, death itself has been defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory and has therefore lost its sting. And as we face the joyful reality of an empty tomb this morning, the question for us is this, does the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter change anything for us who believe? Does the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter change anything for us who believe? Does it? Does it change us? Does it make a practical difference in our lives? Or is Easter another excuse to get dressed up, take some family photos, and eat a good meal? Are we here celebrating the risen Lord Jesus because his victory over death means something for us? faced with the reality of Jesus's resurrection, we need to think about what the resurrection should mean for us. Here are a few. First, if death has been defeated in Jesus Christ and we have placed our faith in him, then we can be assured of not only eternal life, but also a bodily resurrection like his. This is what Jesus has promised when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, we are assured that we share in his victory over death and the grave. So the apostle Paul says in Romans 6, for if we have been united with him, that is Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like his. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. then he goes on to say that we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. Paul also says in Philippians 3 that Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Dearly beloved, this is hope. This is glorious hope. It's the hope of the resurrection. It's the hope of redemption that comes through faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's so glorious that we can't even fully wrap our minds around it. It is a promise which is so wonderful that no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's a hope that we can put our full confidence in. Paul is so sure of the saving work of Jesus Christ that he asks us, who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. And we know that he goes on to say there in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? This is a question that Jesus asked Martha when he tells her that he is the resurrection and the life. Do we believe this? Do we? Second, if death, I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> Second, if death is, has been defeated in Jesus Christ, no longer do we have to fear death. No longer do we have to fear death because Jesus has already gone ahead of us in it and has defeated it, defeated it for us. So we don't enter death and find there an absence of Jesus. We can return to Romans 8. I'm sure that neither death nor life, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, death is but a doorway that leads to everlasting life, eternal delight in the presence of our Savior. This is why the writer of Hebrews can say in Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. No longer are we slaves to the fear of death. We are free, brothers and sisters. Free to approach the mystery of death with confidence that it is not the end but a new beginning. Free to live now in the joy and the hope of the resurrection. Free to live in the power of the resurrection. So third, if Jesus has risen from the dead, then we don't just have confidence in eternal life and our bodily resurrection. We can live in the power of the resurrection right now because Jesus Christ has filled his people with his spirit. This is the Apostle Paul's point when he says in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And as Paul unfolds the implications of the resurrection, Paul is going to hammer this truth home for us. Romans 6, Paul tells us, we, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Later in the same verse, he instructs us, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Then in chapter 7, he states, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we might bear fruit for God. This is our calling in light of the resurrection live to righteousness. We've been freed to do so. We've been enabled through the Holy Spirit in the power of the resurrection to live holy lives in obedience to God's word. But living in the power of the resurrection also means that we are to live lives of joy filled hope able to endure and rejoice through any hardship or persecution, confident in the promises of God. This is what the apostle Peter speaks to when he tells us that God, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are able to endure and rejoice rejoice through hardship because our eyes and our hope are not set on the things of this world which are fleeting but they are set on that which is above on our inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for us secure in Jesus Christ. So those are three important implications from the resurrection that should create very real changes in our lives. Our faith is not merely wrapping our heads around and rehearsing some doctrines. It's putting our trust, our hope, our joy, our satisfaction in a risen Lord who fills us with his Holy Spirit and transforms us to live in his power. And dearly beloved, the world needs to see, the world needs to see this in the people of God now more than ever. In the midst of a pandemic pandemic, economic uncertainty, political instability. It needs to see believers living according to our faith, living free of fear, free of anxiety, free of indecision, not clinging to that which is perishing, but in joyful, confident hope. The world doesn't need to hear a lot of words about a vacant grave. They need to see a spirit-filled community of believers. And the world won't care about a rolled away stone unless it sees a carried away church, a church living in the power of the resurrection, giving witness to the risen living Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but how feeble our faith. How easy it is to forget and not live in the reality of the resurrection. We too, like the women at the tomb, like the disciples, can have dullness of memory, especially in times of despair and disappointment. The angels exhort the women, remember. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember, church, Remember, we need to remember his words, dearly beloved. Cling to his promises every day, every moment. The tomb is empty. He is risen, just as he said. And be encouraged by the disciples. Who, in spite of themselves, in spite of their unwillingness to believe because of their dullness to remember, they became so thoroughly persuaded, so entirely convinced of the truth of the resurrection that their lives were transformed by its power and they preached it everywhere they went. They endured suffering on its account. Dearly beloved, may we too go forth this day thoroughly convinced of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, living in the power of the resurrection, clinging to the promises of God, proclaiming Christ crucified and yet risen from the grave. And to God be all praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you this day for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We praise you for his victory over death, for conquering death for us. We praise you that because he lives, we too shall live this day and forevermore. Help us to live in the hope and joy and peace of the resurrection. Help us to have faith. Grant that we may live in the power of the resurrection and thus give witness that Jesus Christ is alive, risen from the dead and reigning at your right hand. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake that we pray these things. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe